We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This week, I am launching a special workshop for reopening schools. If you would like to be part of that, it is not too late. So please go to jethrojones.com slash reopen to join this awesome workshop about reopening our schools this fall. That's jethrojones.com slash reopen. This week's episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational. You can get a discount on the awesome books that they have available by going to us.johncatbookshop.com and using the code transformative30. That'll save you 30% on any order. That's us.johncatbookshop.com and the code is transformative30. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is Jethro Jones and I am so excited to welcome you to the program today. Today we are talking with literacy nerds Beth Lawrence and Dina Seifert, who are the co-founders of Infocabulary. And so welcome, Beth and Dina, to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. We're so glad to be here. All right. And the first voice you heard was Beth, and the second voice is Dina. Just want to make sure that we know uh, which voices are which as we are talking. And so, Beth, why don't you start by talking to us about what Infocabulary is? I'd love to. Infocabulary is a web-based K-12 interactive tool for helping students improve their vocabulary and their critical thinking skills. Excellent. And can you tell us a little bit about how it works and uh, what the mechanics are? Sure, not a problem. So the way that vocabulary instruction tends to happen when it does happen, because teachers are so super busy and uh, a lot of times, you know, we're not spending that overt time doing explicit instruction of vocabulary, but it tends to be very language dense and it still tends to uh, look a lot like 
rote memorizing definitions, maybe using flashcards. And what Invocabulary does is it provides students, we basically speed up the vocabulary learning process by mimicking the act of avidly reading, which is really how students, the students with the best vocabulary tend to be avid readers. Reason being that authors are not afraid, not afraid, but they tend to use a lot of sophisticated advanced vocabulary to convey their ideas in a really succinct way. So when students are not avidly reading, they're not encountering words like prominent and compliant and prudent over time so that they encounter multiple contexts of those words and then they end up with a depth of understanding. So since that whole process, which is is how good vocabulary learners have typically done it, since that process of avidly reading is not happening for a variety of reasons, happy to go into that more, but we came up with vocabulary which provides those multiple examples, those multiple contexts, but we do it all at once and we do it with visuals as the primary modality so that students who for whom language is not their prim- their strength we're not taxing their language um, skills in order to teach them the meanings of language of vocabulary when you talk about avidly reading you just mean that like kids are reading for fun or reading because they want to yeah so so reading books that you're assigned in school you know so the classics and and literature or reading for fun yeah so we know that that's you know when that's not happening the students are just not we don't tend to use words orally that authors use so you wouldn't walk into a second grade classroom for example and hear a teacher say oh you you know you students made a prudent decision right they say mm-hmm. we tend to make things simpler with oral language but authors use more sophisticated language so you can you can see how if you're not encountering those words you're not hearing them, you're not learning them, and you're not learning the multiple contexts that those kinds of words can be used in. Yeah, that's so that's a really fascinating idea. I thought that it was just people talk down to kids because they're little and think they can't understand that they don't use more sophisticated language with kids. But is that more than just with kids, but we do it with adults as well? That is true. We tend to use, um, we tend to have a higher receptive vocabulary. So the words that are in your brain, we tend to have have much higher than the words that we use expressively. So across the board, that tends to be true, yes. Hmm. Give me something to think about here. I like that. <laughs> so, Dina, can you talk a little bit about how using this different approach in teaching vocabulary is more effective and why you guys created this opportunity for uh, schools and families to use to, to have access to your product? Sure. Beth and I are speech language pathologists, and we've worked uh, for a long time with children who struggle with reading issues and language difficulties. So we're we've been in literacy for for a long time, working with our own students. And we met. The iPad had been out for about a year, and we reconnected at a conference where they were telling speech language pathologists how to use the iPad with students. And um, all of the apps at that point were mostly in the preschool, um, you know, like four-year-olds, five-year-olds. And we work with a lot of middle school, high school, high-functioning kids. And so we kind of turned to each other and said, you know, how hard would it be to create some apps for um, our middle school, high school students? 
Uh, it was really hard. And I'm not sure that <laughs> had we known the journey that we were going on, that we would have gone on it. But that's true of most things, right? When you look back. Yeah. And the other thing is vocabulary is is kind of nebulous. Like teachers don't always know what words to teach. They use best practices in most cases, I'm sure. But as speech language pathologists, we have a lot of vocabulary tools in our toolboxes. And so we're hoping and, and built in vocabulary. So it's another tool for teachers to use in the classroom. And uh, we initially built it for kids who were struggling with reading, but soon found once we got it into the hands of teachers that all of the students in the class were benefiting from it. And teachers were also sending it home for homework. So students could log on at home since it's web-based um, and do, you know, spend 15 minutes bolstering the vocabulary of words that teachers had chosen or words that were already, you know, if you don't choose words for students in a vocabulary, you're going to get words on grade level, slightly below and slightly above. And they're encountering words that they need to learn before they actually read, you know, the next chapter in the book that is assigned to them. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have some context around these words is, is certainly beneficial when you come across them. Um, but what's the value in creating a deeper vocabulary, especially since you said we use such simpler language when we're talking? Why should we be focusing on helping kids create a deeper vocabulary? Yeah, I'm happy to answer that. When we look at, so so when Dean and I first started this, uh, again, our backgrounds being special education, speech-language pathology, we did a TEDx talk last year that that kind of shared about this piece where we kind of had lenses on for that 10 to 13% of students. And it wasn't until we joined an incubator, a business incubator, and learned what market research meant and, and looked at the bigger picture of who's struggling? You know, Is this a tool that really is just for one population? And what we soon learned is that 65% of the students in this country, you love it or leave it with testing, um, that's kind of the current data that we have. And 65% and of students are not demonstrating an ability to comprehend on grade level. They're struggling with that. And so if you're reading, there are multiple, obviously there are multiple components to being a good reader. There's the kind of the five pillars of literacy. But one of those pillars is vocabulary. And we know from the research that unless you know already 95, at least 95% of the words contained in a text, it will impact your comprehension. So we, you know, so if you're not comprehending, and that's a huge problem because there's that shift somewhere between third and fourth grade where we spend the first few years of school teaching students how to read. And then there's this magical shift in here, child, you know, here students take this text and now teach yourself, you know, go, go forth and learn from the reading. And so one of the foundational skills that needs to be there is a strong vocabulary because you can just imagine the cyclic nature of if I don't have enough vocabulary and I start reading something on a fourth grade level, and then I didn't understand it because I didn't have the vocabulary, then I can't continue to read. And you can just see the compounding nature of that all the way through 12th grade and, and not even stopping in 12th grade. We now know that 40 to 60% of incoming college freshmen need remedial help in English and or in, in math. So vocabulary, it's like you you need to have a huge body of vocabulary words that you know, and it, and it you know it grows every year. And when you start school behind the eight ball, 
the data shows us that kids just don't catch up. So it's this massive problem. It starts early. There are a variety of reasons that a kid would be behind the eight ball with vocabulary knowledge. And it, and it impacts everything. It impacts your reading comprehension. And then it also impacts your written language ability. So yeah. <laughs> and two, two very important concepts in vocabulary is breadth of vocabulary and depth. So breadth is the number of words that you know. And depth is how deeply you know those words. And so if you only have a surface understanding of a word, you're not going to be able to apply it to different contexts, different situations, or be able to link it to another network of words that you have. So, you know, getting more words under your belt as a student is really important, but also learning them more deeply is important too. Yeah, you know, it makes me think of when I I lived in Russia for two years, and it was an awesome experience. I learned Russian, and it was incredibly difficult, but so rewarding to learn another language and to be able to speak it. And I remember the day that I uh, could make jokes in Russian about the Russian language so that I could intentionally use a different word because I understood that word that would make people laugh. And I remember thinking that I like, that's when I felt like I could really speak Russian when I could, when I could make jokes. And that was my, that was my measuring stick to see how good I was at speaking Russian. So I, when I think back to that time, I learned words very differently than I learned words. Now, typically the way that I learn words is that as I'm reading a book, I see a word or I'm listening to something, I hear somebody use a word, and then I look up the definition and find out what that means. And ironically, I can't think of the book that I did this while I was reading on my Kindle last night, which is, <laughs> but if I read it, I would know what it meant. But that that goes into that, that depth of vocabulary that I don't have a very good depth on whatever that word was I looked up last night because I can't remember it now. But if I see it again, I believe that I'll be able to to know what it means. And so how important is, is that depth of being able to know and understand so many different words and how deep do you actually need to be able to understand them? Should I be able to apply them in one context or two contexts or three, or is there a way for us to even understand or, or categorize how, how deeply we know words? I think research says that a child needs 10 to 12 exposures of a word in a variety of contexts to fully understand that word. So if you're not an avid reader, you're not getting, you're not hearing that word or seeing that word in multiple books and seeing it used in different situations. So that you're already at a deficit right there. And Beth, you can probably yeah. speak more to that too. Yeah. And I, I think getting totally nerdy here. Um, yes. Second, yes. <laughs> yay. <laughs> Beck and McCown and Kukan are big are authorities in vocabulary. They've written some really great books that most of most of the podcast audience here have probably heard of. And so they have a construct that they came up with that is that that ranks vocabulary words according to tiers. So tier one words are words like car and banana and bread and mother or key, you know, those basic words that in your language, if you've been exposed to language before you get to school, you should know those tier one words. English language learners would would need to learn those words, but but most kids in our country would would come into school knowing those words. And then tier three words are 
academic words that you would learn with your science textbook or your science teacher, your social study, you know, your social studies, like hypotenuse and, you know, math words. And then tier one are the, the other groups of words. And those are words that are going to be in literature. They're also going to be the glue words that are holding together the concepts that you're learning in your textbooks. So words like prudent, compliant, prominent, those kinds of words. And so obviously when you're learning a word like banana, that doesn't really require a ton of, um, you know, context. But, you know, when you're, when you're learning about it, you're learning about monkeys, right? Or, um, and peel. And then that word banana would be related to an orange because an orange is a kind of fruit and they both have peels and, right? So, but an orange is a citrus fruit. So all of that, you know, the, the part of the brain that's kind of in charge of storing vocabulary, we're constantly building this neural network. And so when you have a word, so let's compare a word like banana that I just went into with a word like prudent. So the first time you're going to encounter that word is likely going to be in a sentence like, you know, the prudent student did all of her homework so she could go out and play on the weekend or, you know, or, you know, when she got home or, or something along those lines. And so the way um, there are kind of two, two kind of concepts in vocabulary learning. Well, there's lots of concepts, but the, the two I'm focusing on right now are the idea of overgeneralization and undergeneralization. And so with a word like prudent, you're like, that's the first time you've ever heard it. The first time you've encountered it, you just learned that it, you know, it has to do with this school example. And so when the author is kind enough to give you context clues, which they often are not, it's, I can't recall the exact number, but it's like 30 or 40% of the time. It's not enough. Authors don't even, sorry, 30 to 40% of the time, you'll get context clues from the sentences. And the rest of the time, there's nothing in the sentence to give you any clue about the meaning of the word. And then you would have to resort to looking up a word in a dictionary. And if your language skills are very strong, which congratulations for learning a completely different language in two years, that's really impressive. That just tells me your brain is kind of really, you know, language is a thing for you. And so you can, you can look at a definition and learn from that. But you probably, you may or may not, depending on the, the complexity and the, and the abstract, whether it was an abstract or a concrete word, you may or may not be able to apply it to all of the contexts to which it would be appropriate. So that's kind of where I was going with that. With prudent, the first time you encounter that, there were clues in that, that example I gave you. And so that gets kind of locked down as, oh, that's a school-related word. But then wait, the next time you encounter that sentence, you know, a, a different book maybe or a different text, the prudent patient took all of her medicine and got better. Oh, okay. Now it's, oh, and how about the prudent homeowner who, you know, paid a large deposit, you know, um, deposit on the home, uh, you know, down payment on the home. So, you know, their, their mortgage rate was better. Do you get what I'm saying? So, so it's those kinds of, that's what ends up with a depth of understanding. And then you're better able to apply it. So students who don't have that depth of understanding and they only learn with a definition, one of the things that, you take a poll, almost every language arts teacher out there has had the hilarious experience of kids using words in a sentence. That's, that's a very common thing. Oh, here's, here's the definition. Now use it in a sentence. And they just don't have the depth of understanding of that word to be able to successfully do that. And so they'll use it incorrectly. And so that's where, that's one of the things we're hearing with our users is that, oh my gosh, 
my students, because they have this ownership, they figured out the meaning of the word. There's an ownership of the process and they got a depth of understanding very quickly. And therefore they're, they're confident to use these words appropriately in their writing. And we're hearing that across the board, testimonial after testimonial. Yeah. So the other day, oh, and just a side note, what made learning Russian a lot easier was actually living in Russia. So yes. that's a little pro <laughs> tip there. Like living Absolutely. there certainly helps a lot. <laughs> um, so the other day, my son complained to me, he's in fourth grade and he said, dad, in reading, we aren't even reading. We're just learning about how to read and words. And if it's called reading, why aren't we just learning about reading? And why aren't we just reading, period? And I said, well, son, you it's probably not called reading. It's probably called language arts. And being able mm-hmm. to like understand new words is all really important and all that. How would you answer that complaint from my son that they're not spending time reading and he just wants to read the books that he's really interested in as an avid reader? I yeah. mean, he reads a ton. So... What would your response to that be? Dina, do you want me to take that one or do you want to take that? Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, so this is a, it is a real um, concern. It is a real question. You know, like I said, there's 65% of kids in schools are struggling with reading comprehension. And then we have, you know, the other third who are, have been reading since they were little and their, their noses in books. And Mm -hmm. um, that, that can be a frustrating situation and it may be that he doesn't need all of that that level of support, and so that would that would were I to be your friend, I would you know like we're, we're now new friends. I would actually um, you know just raise that with the teacher and and discuss you know what exactly is it why you know this give the, and give the teachers that feedback because really differentiated instruction is what is what's supposed to be happening in schools and you know some kids need lots of deep dive on how to make inferences and how to predict what's coming and foreshadowing. And, you know, that's part of all of our, like we all went through that. And so it may be worth having a conversation about like what percentage of time is, are you spending on those kinds of things? And what strategies do you have to, to help my child continue to love the, the, the process of reading? And maybe there's some, some flexible ways that, you know, that, that he can have his needs met. He sounds like, you know, a kiddo who's, you know, high flyer and and probably needs to have some additional challenges and that kind of thing. And we don't want to forget, we don't want to forget that population of, of students because that's not an uncommon thing to, to, to also hear. And really that's that differentiation in the classroom is just super, super important. John Cat Educational supports high quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to see the latest publications whose exciting ideas include overcoming the extrovert ideal in our schools, creating bottom-up transformation that promotes buy-in from all educators, and improving formal and informal continuous learning opportunities for teachers. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes. As I think about your response to that, and you know, those thoughts went through my mind as well, of course. And I think for him and for other students, we really need to take away the pain of learning new things and make them enjoyable. 
And that yep. was one thing that I appreciated about the demo that I tried to vent vocabulary and why I wanted to talk with you is that it's not like playing a video game, but I thought that it was, I don't know, I don't know the best word to use to describe it, but I'll say cute in the way that the pictures were presented and the way that how you had to infer which vocabulary word they were going to represent. I just thought that that was a really clever and engaging way to do it, that it wasn't, it wasn't about the definition. And I'm trying, I'm trying to articulate this in in the best way that I can. It's not about learning the definition to words. It's about understanding the nuances of the words based on pictures, which I thought was a very different approach to learning vocabulary and really in the sweet spot for my nerdy approach to learning as well. I thought that it, it it worked out really well. So explain a little bit how InFocabulary works with that, the poor job that I did describing it and, and what people can expect when they're, when they're actually using the program. Yeah. So the process that you just described is a brand, it's a brand new pedagogy. It's a brand new approach to teaching vocabulary and it's, it's called semantic reasoning. And this journey has been very interesting. And in the beginning, it was one student, one eighth grade girl who couldn't comprehend Animal Farm. And then it was, you know, PowerPoint presentations. And there are teachers out there who have, who probably figured this out before we did, but we're the, we're like the ones who, you know, developed a construct around it, began teaching teachers how to use semantic reasoning in their, add this to your toolbox of other great things that you're doing. And so don't feel bad because it's taken us years to be able to realize what it was. We thought it was just kind of a cool way of teaching vocabulary to kids who struggle. And then what we, over time and, and over working with lots of really amazing experts in, our, in, the, in the field of literacy and learning and cognition, worked with them to develop this construct and, and had to, you know, had to really expand our thinking about what it was. And, you know, we worked with several folks in cognition and thinking and, and learned that this is just not something that we've typically asked students to do, which is find the common thread among these examples and using picture, our, our approach uses pictures as the primary modal, you know, the, that's the primary entree point. So here we have this, it's always been language related. For hundreds of years, you learn a word by learning its definition. But the problem is the definition often has vocabulary in it that the kids also don't know. Um, exactly. And so Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't deeply teach you like, when should I use this word? And so this, this process of, Hey, here are multiple and, and in Basecamp, which is on infocabulary.com, um, the demo that's there, there are the, the two modes are available for anyone who wants access to, to see what we're even talking about. So Basecamp is six images and then you click on each of the images. So after trying to kind of get this idea of where is this taking me? What's the common, like, what do picture one and two have in common? Oh, what about one, two, and three? Oh, what about four? Wait, that challenges my assumption about this word because number five doesn't fit. So maybe I'm not thinking about this the right way. That's what we're trying to do. And then you click on each picture and the captions we've carefully written using kid-friendly language and we've embedded in those captions synonyms and phrases that guide your thinking in the right direction. So it's kind of 
We're not anti-language. We're speech language pathologists. We're literacy experts. We love language. But it's just been the epiphany I had that was in our TEDx, in, in the TEDx talk that we did. The epiphany was, why are we using language when to teach language to kids who struggle with language when 65% of the kids in this country are, are clearly demonstrating that language is, is problematic for them, you know, at least written languages. So, so yeah, that's the process that, that the students are using in Basecamp. And then once they go through that process and only after that, then aha, here's the language of the definition written in kid-friendly language. Yeah. I, I just think that it's really good and definitely something that uh, really does in my short time with it, just, it made a lot of sense that it would especially be appealing to those who are the 65% who aren't uh, proficient and don't have good vocabularies. You know, someone like my son, who's at the top of his class and, you know, reads a book every night before bed and listens to audiobooks and, you know, writes books in his head all the time and tells stories <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Like he's not the one who, who definitely needs this. My oldest daughter who has Down syndrome, however, her understanding of vocabulary and what different words mean is, you know, all over the place. And so um, right. those are two extremes, of course, but, but even me who uh, is, who is very proficient, has a good vocabulary. I still enjoyed the process of thinking about those words differently based on the pictures that you had. So so I'm going to, I'm going to, that, Go that's an interesting, that's an interesting, and that is exactly the thinking that we had when we first started. Like, hey, this is a tool mm-hmm. for those 10 to 13% in special ed. Then we're like, oh my gosh, 65% of the students are struggling. And Dina, I don't, um, if, if you would be interested in sharing about what the, what the research showed, you know, that might be a fun thing for you to share, or I'm happy to share it too. When we went into the classroom initially with our beta for infocabulary back in 2016, um, our assumption was that, you know, just the students on the lower end of the range would benefit from it. But quickly, teachers were showing us that all of the students in the classroom were benefiting. You know, you have a third of the students who are receiving services, and they definitely need infocabulary. And then you have a, a third that are high flyers. And we thought, well, you know, they'll just have fun doing it. And then a third of the students are in between those two who aren't getting services but need the help. Uh, And we had a pilot study done uh, by the University of Virginia, and the results showed us that the high flyers benefited from this too. So they they were doing much better on their quizzes and their tests and learning vocabulary more deeply than without infocabulary because we did, it was a study where one class, uh, half of the students used infocabulary, the other half did best practice. They did the same words and then they all took a quiz at the end of the week and then they switched the next. So we quickly learned that it really is a program that helps the high flyers learn words more deeply and get even more proficient at using vocabulary. It helps the the students receiving services not have to be pulled out of the classroom for vocabulary instruction. And it helps that middle third of students who aren't getting any services who need that help to be more proficient at vocabulary. It gives them the framework for how to form their definitions and how to understand the words more deeply. Yeah. But that's yeah. a process too. Yeah. That makes total sense though. Now that I've experienced it. That's interesting too. Um, you know, again, in looking at the customers who have purchased in vocabulary, we have some of the top, performing college prep school, private schools using infocabulary. It's, it's, we didn't want something cartoony. So, so it is, it's cute. It's fun, 
but it's not cutesy. And so it's not condescending. And we have, you know, go, go check it out, go to the demo and check it out. We have punctilious in there. So there really are, there are vocabulary words. We have SAT vocabulary. We have books, we have words in here ranging from, you know, words like old, where we can help kids expand, you know, if they have the concept of the word OLD means like conceptually decrepit, we can actually expand their understanding to refer like a phonograph is old or a 1950s shiny Cadillac is old. I had that, that happened with a real student. He's like, that's not old. And I was like, oh, (laughs) temporally, like he just, that's what we're doing. Even with those more basic vocabulary words, that's what we're, we're giving kids background knowledge we're giving them visuals so that when they are reading these words, when they're reading, they have visual imagery that they can use to help them generate that movie in their head. That's the goal of reading. Um, one of the major skills, one of the major approaches that that we want kids to do when they're reading a book is, you know, like if you asked your son, hey, do you want to go see the movie, you know, of whatever book he's reading? He's probably going to like the book better than the movie because the the people who are avidly reading, they're doing that internally. So, you know, so we have content in our, in our system ranging from those more basic tier one words. Most of them are tier two words, some tier three words, but ranging from, you know, uh, Paddington Bear to Holes and Hatchet, Number the Stars in our system, all the way up to, to Romeo and Juliet, To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, so we, we do have high schools that are college prep high schools that are using this because it is sophisticated and fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the last question that I ask is, uh, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you two? And you're not allowed to say, go to infocabulary.com and try the demo because I just said that. So something <laughs> else that they can do to be a transformative leader. Ooh, that's a good question. I think doing any additional homework to really research. So we talk with a variety of leaders and I think vocabulary is one of those things that really, really the knowledge that that leaders have on the importance of vocabulary ranges. It, it's such a wide gamut. There are those who are like, oh my gosh, of course, vocab-. like they just get it. There's no there's no need to convince anybody that this is important, that this is something teachers need to spend time on, or at least they need to, if they're doing a flipped classroom kind of model. So we have a TEDx talk, highly recommend viewing that. It's it's on our website under press. So just kind of the, the idea of, of why vocabulary is important, you know, so so I guess that's what I'm saying. If if you are if you're a leader and you don't if you're not having that, like, oh my gosh, vocabulary, yes, it's so hugely important. I would encourage you to do a little bit more deep dive. Please reach out to us, you know, not, not necessarily for sales, but just if you need more information on the role that vocabulary plays on everything, it impacts math, it impacts science, it impacts reading comprehension, written language, it impacts everything. It's the building block of language. So getting kids reading by third grade, super, super important. But then there's this there's this handoff. Oh, good, we taught you how to read. Now, now you need to be able to read, and that just is not the case for so many kids. They still need support in this vocabulary area, or all that hard work you did getting them to read means almost nothing because they can't comprehend. And I would encourage principals to read Beck and McCown's "Bringing Words to Life." Yes, a quick read. It's easy to do, and it gives you. 
um, some of the foundation of, you know, why vocabulary is important, why we need to use a variety of best practice instruction, because we're not saying infocabulary.com is the only vocabulary tool in your toolbox. There needs to be a bunch of them. And so, you know, the best way to support teachers is to learn more about um, some of the best practices. So pick up that book and, and give it a shot. It's, it's a quick, easy read. Excellent. Those are both great suggestions. And uh, you can get links to everything that we talked about at jethrojones.com slash podcast slash episode 335. And uh, thank you both so much for being part of Transformative Principle. And uh, people can reach you at infocabulary.com. Is there any other way that you want people to connect with you? Yeah, I would say, sorry, go ahead, Dina. Oh, if you're interested in... um checking out Infocabulary, you could go to infocabulary.com and check out our demo. And um, if you're wanting to purchase it, you can email sales at infocabulary.com and get more information about it for your school. Yep. And any kind of additional just content information, questions, anything along those lines, that would be me, uh, Beth at infocabulary.com. Okay, great. Thank you both. I love to answer questions. It's specific, like, oh, hey, our district is really struggling with blank or, you know, any of those kinds of questions. Like, what would you recommend? You know, we're happy to kind of put on our speech and language expertise literacy hats and and help people field questions and kind of, we're not, we don't just do in vocabulary. That's, that's, you know, the primary thing we're doing, but um, we've got a lot of tricks up our sleeve and we're happy to help. We, we really like we didn't start this to be business people. We started this because we care passionately about students and children and everybody reading and comprehending and, and being successful. Awesome. Thank you both so much for being part of Transformative Principle. Once again, you can get those links at uh, jethrojones.com slash podcast slash episode 335. And thank you for listening to today's show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information or learn more in our show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.